What up, y'all? Welcome to Queer Rock the Podcast. I am Money, the might of the Jabari first hand. <laughs> and I'm sure I would get that and understand that had I um, seen Black Panther. But, of course, ever the late one, I have yet to see it. But I'm going to see it before it comes out on VHS. <laughs> so, I'm Nikita. And this week, I am... I don't know. A bitch is just tired this week. Just tired, overworked, overwhelmed. That's me for the week. That's okay. Hopefully, you won't be there by the end of the episode, though. No, I'll be. I'll be uplifted. The show always makes me feel good. Well, drop the motherfucking intro. Love your chocolate demeanor and your cocoa kisses. I see your flow from a distance. Your vibe incite my submission. I give you all of me. Wanna make you proud of me. We see the God in all you do. Your light is harmony. Every type, darkest night, brightest light. I'm loving your soul. They hate you, replace you, taint you, but know that you go. Worldwide from every continent. I just want you jig a little bit. Move them hips, feel that bliss. Hug your sister, make a fist. Don't resist your temptation. You amazing, no limitation. My favorite in this matrix. We move by your vibration and that's love. I hope you hear that on the daily, cause baby you love. I hope you hear that on the daily, cause baby you love. I hope you hear that on the daily, cause baby you love. You love. So you wanna tell the people, excuse me, our listeners where they can find us? Um, yes, you can find us on all the social media platforms. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and, oh, just Twitter and Instagram as Queer Walk Pod. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at Queer Walk The Podcast, Tumblr, where it all began, at QueerWalk.com, or you can hit us up on the Gmail at QueerWalkPod at gmail.com. Speaking of where to find us, this will actually be our last episode before South by Southwest because, damn, two in two weeks, we're going to be at South by in Southwest. So if you haven't heard yet, um, we are part of the South by Southwest podcast stage. We will be joined by the womanist race nurse of Tea with Queen and Jay. Tea with Queen and Jay. I thought you was going to do that. And. <laughs> I needed to change it up. And our so so we go on live at nine thirty. Um, we'll also be broadcasting on the TuneIn app. So if you can't make it to South by Southwest, or we understand that those um, passes are expensive, uh, our while our um, session is at nine thirty, and if you're going to be there, please come with your coffee, um, bright eyed and bushy tail, to you know dismantle some patriot um, patriarchy and capitalism. Yeah. Um, but if not. Live listen to us on the TuneIn app. Um, and we will also be having a meetup. So I know we've been telling y'all to uh, keep like keep following us on Instagram and Twitter because that's where you're going to get the, what do you call it, up to the moment mm-hmm. like updates. But I do have the information on the meetup. And so uh, somebody asked us a question about um, if you need a South by Southwest pass for the meetup. That was the point of the meetup because South by Southwest is like really expensive. It's extremely expensive. Um, so we are having a pot and live South by uh, meetup at Alicia's Cantina. 
I'll put the information in the description, but that's in Austin, Texas. We'll be there on the 13th, March 13th from 5 to 8. So swing through and catch us, you know. Um, it's just going to be us chit-chatting, chilling, creating community. Yeah, so stop by there. It's not it's not a paid event. It's a restaurant. So, you know, it's basically like a happy hour type deal. Get off work and come chill with us. So, again, the information will be in the description box. So, yeah. Next time y'all hear from us, we'll be in Austin, Texas. That shit feels unreal. It does. I'm excited. I haven't been to Texas since I lived there. So. <laughs> This is, this is a good occasion to go back. Before, I know you all are dying to hear us live from South by Southwest, but where you can regularly listen to our program. You see how I slid that in? Yeah, yeah, that yeah, was yeah. quite the transition, yeah. I know. Thanks for that wink. <laughs> um, you can listen to us on SoundCloud, on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and on Stitcher. And wherever else you catch your pods. Uh, I don't know if I said this, actually, but our... Um, South by Southwest session is going to be 9.30 a.m. on the 12th. So it's the day before the meetup, um, just to clarify that. So we go on 9.30 a.m., March 12th, and then the next day, I think it's uh, Tuesday, right? Tuesday the 13th? Yeah. Oh. And on Tuesday, March 13th, we're having the meetup at Leach's Cantina at 5. So, yeah. My bad for interrupting, you know, your, your groove. It's for South by Southwest. You'll be forgiven this one time. <laughs> As we've already said, South by Southwest ain't cheap. <laughs> and to keep up a podcast ain't cheap. So I wonder what could people do to help us? Oh, I've got an idea. You can donate. And let me tell you the ways that you can do so. You can become a patron by uh, subscribing to our patreon.com at Pod. So we have different levels of contributors, so please feel free um, to become one. And like I said, that means when you're a patron, that means that you are making a monthly contribution to the program. So uh, like I always say, you want to miss that um, chai latte or we're out of the pumpkin season. I don't know what the fuck fancy drinks, uh, coffee drinks that y'all are drinking. But if you could just skip one, one time of the month. Isn't then- it like... Um- like shamrock shake time, is it? No. Oh, shamrock shake. Yeah, like for Don't that's not a real holiday. Oh. We're not even mentioning that here. She I, she lost her mind for a moment. Um, I'm not celebrating that and we're not talking about that day here. Or let's say you come into a windfall of big money and you want to make a one-time donation. Please feel free to do that on our PayPal. And you can go to paypal.me/queerwalk all right so you want to do uh queer walk of the week or you want me you can do it all right so we're going to move on to queer walk of the week queer walk of the week this week i actually don't know what the school is called is it stoneman douglas parkland school i don't know but uh high school student emma gonzalez (laughs) i don't I feel like the, there's been several names of the school. Stoneman Douglas High School. Okay. Um, and so for those of you who haven't heard about it, it's the school in Florida where um, 17 students were um, murdered by um, a classmate. Um, and the reason why Emma is Queer Walk of the Week is because 
she's been do- doing a lot of activism in her um, high school around like queer issues. Um, I think I saw a headline that says she identified as bi. Um, hope I'm not putting that label on her without her wanting that. But uh, yeah, she's a Latinx baddie who's been fucking it up around queer stuff in her school for a while now. Um, but after after the school shooting. Um, She went viral with her uh, speech about gun control and directly called out, you know, all these lawmakers who take money from the NRA, Mm -hmm. um, went toe-to-toe with the um, (laughs) chairwoman of the NRA on CNN and held her own. Um, She said this comment. I I couldn't bring myself to watch any of the videos mm -hmm. um, of her speaking, but apparently there was, I saw a quote, um... When she was going like toe to toe, whatever uh, high ranking person in the NRA, mm-hmm. and she was like, "We're stepping up to do for your children what you what yes. you refused to do." And I was like, "Damn!" Yes. That that was the first words out her mouth, actually. <laughs> Shit. Yes, it was great. And just I guess for clarity, NRA is the National Rifle, Rifle Association, yeah. um, and she just made that woman look, I don't like a child. <laughs> Like not, not 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 one of these not, children. Yeah, yeah, actually. no, no, no. That just uh, made it like, look like that. A... You don't know what you're talking about. That um, you are not answering the questions. She she told her several times. This that's how you know that this school got them kids got some education. Okay, they learning. It's not just uh institutionalizing and, and uh practicing docility high school. Right. These kids are actually learning because she said. I would just like to remind you that the question was, <laughs> she said Damn. that several times, just embarrassed this uh, lady on national television. Um, and can I nerd out for a second? Of course. Um, another reason why, because um, I watched the videos and cried while watching, but another reason why I'm, I had to make Emma Queer Rock of the Week is because she's also resisted this um, Crazy mm. people shouldn't have guns thing. That That is always the response from the NRA. Right. And any, really anybody who's like, well, I'm all for guns. It's just that right. crazy people shouldn't have them. Because um, a lot of people have been overlooking that there was actually a sheriff on that panel, uh, that CNN panel too, who was talking about the police just need to be able to um, institutionalize people before it gets to that point. Oh, God. And that's not the answer either, right? And so Emma has done... An incredible job of being like, no, like that's not it either. Stop using the word crazy. Mm. Stop, like she's she's really done that. Um, and so I, you know, I had to, I had to be like, yes, bitch, because right. from, from the mental health perspective. And um, so I just had a, a couple little. I feel like I went into my Nikita bag, and I was like, well, I need to talk about from way back, like how we get here with this conversation yeah. of mental illness and um, like mass shootings and uh, gun control, right? So, so, so. I read this book when I was in, I think my master's program that kind of changed my life as far as uh, the way that issues are, are related, right? And it was called The Protest Psychosis, How Schizophrenia Became a, Pl- a Black Disease. Wait, when did you say and, you read that? In my master's program? Okay. Why? For some reason, I thought you said you read it when you were like 15. <laughs> it wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past 15-year-old money to be reading some shit like For real. that. But. Um, but no, I didn't I didn't read it until my master's program. Um, yeah. Uh, but the book is by, I can't remember his first name, but I know his, I know his last name is Metzl. Um, and really, it, it traces 
the early um, diagnosis of schizophrenia and how it became this like violent, crazy, uh, we must lock them away and institutionalize them um, thing and how that work has worked hand in hand with racism. All right. So in the beginning, right, in the beginning, there was schizophrenia. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I was like, where are we going with this? All right, right. I'm, I'm, it's going to be quick. I promise. So in the, in the and I'm going to tie you back. It's going to all make sense in the end. Uh. In the beginning. <laughs> so when the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual was first created, that is the book that they use to, um, well, it's the book that they use to uh, diagnose. Um, so from the 1920s to about the 1950s, schizophrenia was thought of as a white disease. And when I say a white disease, um, I mean that that's who's overwhelmingly was being uh, diagnosed with it. Um, it was seen as, this is actually how it was described in research articles on schizophrenia from the 20s through the 50s, a thinking and feeling disharmony. So basically that your brain and your emotions weren't connecting. Mm. It was a very harmless... Um, like it was just, it wasn't this, um, picture that we get today when we think about schizophrenia. Right, right, right. Um, and so the actual cure back then that it was thought to, um, to cure schizophrenia was being nurtured back to health. What? Yes. Yes, bitch. They even had like all this stuff about how like cold moms were were causes of schizophrenia. Right. Real, real misogynistic shit. But that the cure would be to nurture someone. So none of this institutionalizing and removing from community. Holy shit. I had no idea. Right, bitch. That's why. And this. So Emma up here schooling these bitches. That's like, yes. That's why I had to like pull it back to this. Because I think a lot of what she's saying right now, people are like, oh, like where's this coming from? It's a long history of of mental illness being like connected with um, violence that has been very racist. So... So she's standing on the back of like these works, right? Of, of like this book. So then in the 50s, we see this dramatic shift in um, diagnoses of schizophrenia and the way it's talked about in um, psychological literature. But what's happening in the 50s? People are fight, starting to fight for their rights. Um, and then in the 60s, it just explodes. It, uh, it takes like a complete left turn um, as far as who's being diagnosed with schizophrenia. So then that's when we start to moving towards institutionalization, right? But this conversation came with the blackening of schizophrenia. And let me explain this, right, y'all, y'all, y'all. Right, right, right. So it, it moved away from this, like, thinking and feeling disharmony to rage and violence wow. conversations. And so um, there were actually uh, advertisements of Haldol, which is an um, a- antipsychotic yeah. medication, with the Black Panthers on it. I, I wish I was joking, y'all. It was like pictures of black men in Black Panther uh, garb um, being like advertised as a how doll, like an antipsychotic medication. So, so, so all the language around like this disharmony between thinking and feeling started to change to like violence and rage. And uh, schizophrenia is actually about like not fitting within your um, social location. And so with that a whole bunch of black people got diagnosed with schizophrenia because it became about like delusions, um, disorganized behavior, flat affect. And I talked about flat affect before. That's basically like not showing emotion. Um, uh, delusion. A, a lot of the delusions that people talked about during the 60s with schizophrenia were about like um, 
like thinking that the FBI was spying on you. Wow. <laughs> That's a big one. It's still till today. Like um, people think the government is out to get them. Well, when you're talking about like racism, like that, that actually is real. Yeah. I just saw that um, in her whole uprising posted a episode about COINTELPRO and the Black Panthers. And I'm like, it's right there. Right. It's, it's right in front of us. So it wasn't even um, like covert racism. And then, you know, then we have Stokely Carmichael at the same time that um, that black people are starting to get diagnosed with schizophrenia. We have Stokely Carmichael talking about institutionalized racism, right? He's like, it's not just, he, he has this quote, I can't remember it verbatim, but it's like, we actually, um, we, we act like simple people when we talk about racism as like a, a person to person thing. Cause it's uh-huh. actually about these institutions. Right. Um, and so then this study by the National Institution on Mental Health, 1973, not even, what, five years post-civil rights movements, um, that black people are 65% more likely to be diagnosed with schizophrenia than any other group. So how do we go from the 20s to the 50s, this being thought of as a white disorder, to immediately following fighting for your civil yeah. rights for, to 65% more likely? We move forward. Present day, black men, four times more likely to be diagnosed with schizophrenia than any other group in the country. And this is, um, I, I always like to point out in research studies, because research is real fucked up. Y'all know I be t- saying that all the time. But this is controlling for all other variables. So controlling for income disparity, controlling for um, educational differences. And I don't know why, but whenever they control for gender in studies, they only use men. Mm. Patriarchy, that's why. But... Controlling for all other variables, black men still four times more likely to be diagnosed with schizophrenia, right? Um, and so that's just a little highlight, right? <laughs> right? And so when so then you start to talk about um, people with severe mental illnesses not having access to um, like being able to buy guns and stuff, and we should get more strict. We the police should be able to early intervene with people with severe mental illness disorders. We need to start thinking about like what that looks like. The face of that it looks black. And and you know all other folks of color sort of like fall along the the in the in between. Like we know that we know when we start to talk about criminalizing. If you just if if you do this, I don't know. Maybe you don't want to do it because you might not. I'm going on a rant right now. But if you like line up the way that they talk about people with mental illness and line up the way they talk about like protesters and resistors. Um, in the Black Lives Matter movement, it's almost <clears throat> verbatim yeah. the way that these people talk about it. And so, so like, this book, I think, I don't know, maybe it came out in, like, 2002 or something. It's not even that far away. Like, we can see how um, resi- when you resist and protest, how how that gets uh, swept up in, like, right. some sort of psychopathy. Like, you're, right, you're right, crazy. Right. Um, and so... To bring it all back home, <laughs> like, I just really was so excited to hear, like, Emma take a, a stance and say, do not make this about, like, mental illness. It is it, Like, stop using those words. You know, this is this is not about that. This is actually about, like, gun control and people like you giving up those rights. She, uh, she, she had this quote where she was like, um, all I hear you saying is that your guns are more important than my life. Right. That's all I hear you saying, <laughs> and and so when we when we bring it back to that, and and because I, I feel like people keep well, oh, there need to be stricter background checks and mm-hmm. all of those things criminalize folks like us, yeah. like we get left out. It, it ain't no it, this um, NRA lady. 
looks like every soccer white mom that I see come through clinics. Like, nobody like her is going to lose guns when we start talking about um, putting stricter background checks. Especially, we we know how people fail background checks. It's so racist and classist and fucked up. And so, yeah. But also, like, (laughs) these threads, like, you bringing in, like, that really rich and... um, I mean, the Marxist to me is basically that's that's like a a pretty good like a historical materialist analysis about how we've come to understand um, like mental health and like these mm-hmm. how it changes you know along you know racial um, um, lines and how it's how that's informed and affected by uh, movements and like that's also there's also that of course that parallel with um, even. The way we tend to talk about gun control now, um, like the the historical roots of that is like Reagan was calling for gun control when he was the governor of California when black folks in the Black Panther Party were exactly. up on the state cap on the state capitol with guns with guns <laughs> right right so. Um, so, I don't, I'm go sorry. ahead. I was just about to say it, it. It feels like gun control has always meant like. Them niggas can't have guns. Like, take the guns from them over there. And so, a lot. I know a lot of the discussion um, has been right, pointing out how you know the young folks. What you know, what folks like Emma Gonzalez, you know, is doing is really amazing. But it's not about, and it's not about. By no means is this an indictment of the students, you know, themselves. But talking about the the dis the gross discrepancy in how, you know, the people are like really uplifting as they should be, you know, the mm-hmm. young folks in Florida, you know, trying to, you know, push for some kind of stronger um gun measures, comparing it to how young black folks, particularly like the Black Lives Matter yeah. movement, mm-hmm. um, have been treated. But cause I am I don't I don't know. I don't know if I'm being naive, but I feel like pretty optimistic if Emma Gonzalez has already demonstrated if people like her are in the movement, even if there's like, even if there's like a strong, but like vocal minority of people like her in the movement, mm-hmm. I think that this is because you think about Florida, right? Like, yeah. I yeah. mean, you think about, I mean, that's kind of where, like, if I'm correct, like the dream defenders in relation to like the Trayvon uh, mm-hmm, Martin mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. verdict, you know, yeah. that's you know, people were a lot of people were like kind of you know in- introduced to like social movements and mm-hmm. like organizing through that so i feel like that would be like a great opportunity for young people to like get together yeah because like one of the concrete ways that we could like kind of bring these demands together is it's not about so if we are going to talk about um gun control some people are saying you know we need to be the ire needs to go towards like holding like gun manufacturers a- accountable um but also more importantly it's like what is this is about dis- disarming society as a whole. Yes. So, so yeah. it's not just about right. So getting so and mm-hmm. Emma's already on the right track saying it's not about the quote unquote crazy people. Right. But if you have to talk about this guy Nicholas Cruz, then you talk about like a vigilante like George Zimmerman. Then you right. have to exactly. talk about the police. Exactly the police. Right. Like, and there's F- no reason why. And yeah. the most mm-hmm. another important thing is that like somebody they just forced somebody to resign. Like one of the school resource officers. Mm-hmm. Um, from the school that he he was basically he basically hid out, 
Like the whole, they were wow. like, I think I saw it was either between like one and four officers were like in the school or around the school that day, mm-hmm. and they didn't respond. And it's wow. like, isn't that the narrative mm-hmm. about why we're told we're yeah. supposed to have more police exactly. in school? Exactly. So it's like, if the young black, you yeah. know, I think that this is a good opportunity for you know for people to take the leadership mm-hmm. of young black folks who've been like organizing around this stuff, yeah, and to like really link together to say yes. it's about there's just the you know the the culture of the yeah. U.S. Mm-hmm. Is just so it's so violent, not just because of lone wolf shooters, but that's like an outgrowth right. of just the the kind of sick gun culture mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. that's armed and backed. Yeah. You know, the gun culture also needs to be talked about in terms of the people that are empowered with fucking badges, right? Right. You know, in so society. That, yes. So I think that this that's is the connection that right would be there. a really fruitful yeah. movement for like young people, yeah, um, to get together. So so then so that you can have folks. Like Emma Gonzalez and others in the um, who are fighting right now to um, to like make these connections, so they they can also be yeah. able, so they can be empowered to defend their comrades mm-hmm. in the Black Lives Matter movement. And that's why I think it re- it really is always queer folks of color because right. who make those connections because we live at the connection. Right, right. So you want to do the community contributors? Oh yeah. Dun, 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 dun. All right. So, we have four new patrons. So, shout out to um, Esha, Hazel, Hector, and Deborah. So, yes, shout out to the new patrons. And we are also uh, really grateful and appreciative of Marusia, who uh, donated a pretty penny into our PayPal. Thank you, So, shout out. Thank you so much. (laughs) And... You know, I've I've been saying that we had been um, there was a little low on the iTunes uh, mm-hmm. reviews, so we do have one new review. Oh yay! And I I was tickled when I read. It. I thought it was super cute. Was it a five star? It, we always get five stars. Not oh, that I want to get. <laughs> I don't want to get cocky, but that's that that has been the pattern. So Merp Derp says. <laughs> Everyone is tired of hearing me talk about this podcast. They're player haters, <laughs> but always understand once they actually listen. Aww. So I thought that was sweet. Because I, when I first started reading it, I was like, oh. Because <laughs> you know how it gives you the preview of the... Yeah. Like, and yeah. I was just like, oh, okay. Everybody's tired of this podcast. It's like, shit. But it turned out very sweet. That was thank sweet. You. So thank you, Murp Derp. And also, we got an email that um, I was so tickled when I read this. Yeah. You actually screenshot it and sent, and sent it, it to me. me. Yeah. So, after our last episode where we were talking about um, sex toys and uh, particularly <laughs> harnesses. Why are you laughing? Because of the way you said it. I'm, go ahead. Go ahead. We're talking about being thickums and harnesses, right? Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> Nia sent us um, an email and um, she was saying, as a black, uh, masculine, of center, non-binary person, I find it amazing that I can listen to a podcast catered to me and the people who I love and relate to. Of course. Thank you. Know, you. We out here and in here. And so uh, she goes on to say, I was just listening to your most recent episode, Love and Reparations and Strap-Ons, oh my, episode, and heard you like more options as a fat girl for harnesses slash strap-ons. I'm not exactly what you'd call fat, but I am bigger than average and I understand the struggles. I too wanted to find one meant for people with hips, thighs, and ass. 
So I found a pretty awesome brand a few years back called Rodeo. Is that- it Rodeo? Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, so she says, maybe you've probably heard of them before. No, no. I haven't, right? So that's why I was like, Neil, just put us on game here. <laughs> and so she also goes on to say their harnesses double as underwear with a ring to hold the dildo. So so basically what I've been rigging up, they actually make. And this, this last part is for you. Specifically, so the... The underwear with the ring to hold the dildo specifically cater to the LGBTQ community, and they also have dildos in colors as well as flesh tones. And she was like, I know you love some colors. I, I do. I love me some colors. You know, I need so, the fantasy colors. I can't do the flesh tones. So maybe we'll go ahead and post a link to Rodeo um, in the show notes. No? As soon as they drop us off some funding for help. Oh, okay. <laughs> we also got a really sweet message from... Hazel, one of our new patrons. Mm -hmm. So Hazel says, what's good, Queer Walk? Just found y'all's podcast, and I love, in all caps, it. Y'all got me snapping at my desk and not feeling the hours at work. Ooh, that's a feat. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Figure I better throw a little bit of that cash your way. I've only heard like three episodes, but I'm working my way through the podcast. Through the podcast. Podcast. Archive. Podcast. Archive. I dig that. <laughs> Thank you for putting me on to Audrey Laura and so many other incredible queer rocks. Their words give me life. I love you, ladies, and your focus. Keep on keeping on. All right. Well, that was sweet. So thanks so much, y'all, helping us keep this community growing and showing. And you can continue um, to further engage with the rest of the community by, whenever you listen, using the uh, hashtag, hashtag QueerWOC, mm-hmm. and also slide up in our um, inbox, the Gmail. <laughs> so, somebody tweeted, I can't remember, but it was like, well, when you said y'all been deep off in the inbox, I'm like, I want somebody to be deep off in my inbox. Well, this is the time to be deep off in our inbox. Please. At QueerWalk... No, no, no. QueerWalkPod at Mm gmail.com. And you can also... Yes, we encourage you to use the hashtag on Twitter. But maybe you want to just, you know, slide up in our DMs on the Instagram. Not the Instagram. Well, there too. But and on Twitter. We enjoy all forms of community engagement. Nikita just trying to get them DMs popping. (laughs) I just, you know, people need to, people want to contribute and be a part of the community. This is true. And I'm just emphasizing the more um, intimate ways that they can engage with us. Okay. And I mean that in the most PG fashion. Sure. All right. So, are we ready for the... That was a drum roll, please. The mental moment with money. I guess I'm as ready as I will ever be for this mental moment. So, um, so before I start this, uh, and it's yeah, yeah, I, y'all know I feel very conflicted about doing this, but um, before I even start this, in case you do not want to hear a segment about um, non-suicidal self-injury, <laughs> I am going to put the the time in the info box and you can skip the mental moment this week. I promise I won't be offended. I know we all arrive at doing our self-work on our own times and I don't want to rush anybody into that. So that I am going to be talking about self-injury. So if you would not like to hear this segment, even though I am tr- going to try to do it in a way that isn't... Um, 
like triggering or heavy because I didn't want this to be heavy. Um, so yeah, I'm the the times will be in the uh, box so you can just skip to uh, Nikita's word and I won't be offended. All right. So I saw Black Panther last week. And when I say I saw Black Panther last week, I mean all of last week. Like seven times. <laughs> I've seen it. Uh, I've seen the movie seven times, y'all. Um, Every time I was calling Montanique, she'd be like, uh, girl, what? I'm on the way to see Black Panther. <laughs> my Her seven to my zero. It's yeah, it's actually shameful. But in in my defense, I invited you four of the seven times. You know I've been busy. You have been. Um and so something that I wanted to talk about uh was uh self-injury. Um and so I guess this is also a spoiler, but honestly, if you haven't seen it yet, you deserve it to be spoiled, <laughs> Nikita. Damn. Um but this so there's a character in the movie Eric Killmonger who's uh like the the opposition to T'Challa who is the Black Panther um who has these um like scars on his body and um I heard a lot of people talking about this as like him holding on to his um like traditions like his his African traditions like oh yes uh, you know, he's trying to hold on to that a legacy through, like, scarring his body. Um, and that's actually not how I read it. And I am owning that it might be from all of my own stuff. Um, but every time he talked about uh, the scars on his body, he didn't talk about it as scarification. And so I wanted to just do a little bit of how scarification is different from self-injury before I start this. Mm. Um, so scarification is a cultural practice um, across uh Ethnic backgrounds, from what I know, pretty much um, melanated people across the, the the globe do this. So we find it in like parts of uh, Asia and um, Africa. Uh, and so obviously it's, this is going to be Afrocentric because it's, hello, Black Panther. But um, yeah, but the thing about scarification is that it's a... It's a community ritual. It's like a, a intergenerational celebration. Um, it's done in places that are visible. Uh, it is not done as any kind of like uh, like coping um, mechanism or a way to uh, like regulate yourself. It's it's a it's a celebratory practice. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like people are around. It's never done in secret. Right. Uh, You're not. You don't pe- have to hide it. Exactly. People are scarring their children. You know. It's like a. It's a. It's like. Um, okay, so imagine if, like, your mama was tattooing you on your face. Like, you know, there's no, like, cultural stigma around tattoos. Everybody knows it's there. If somebody, like, saw it, it wouldn't be, like, a big thing. Um, and so these are, these are to me, is like, oh, the immediate red flags of, like, how scarification is not self-injury. And I don't, I actually think it's kind of dangerous when we start to talk about it as such because then it starts to um, paint our culture and our heritage um, traditions as, like, negative things. And I don't like that. So can we not stop talking about scarification as self-injury? Because it's not. So when so then when we, we get to Killmonger, right? Or, as I like to say, Indijaka! <laughs> never, I need to stop. Um, I never yielded. Oh, my God, y'all. I freaked my advisor out with that line. Just, like, as a side note. She was like, so how are you doing? With the dissertation, I was like, I never yielded. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> and as you can see, 
I am not dead. <laughs> and she, she was like, okay, that, that's good, I guess. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, uh, the, the classic giveaways that Njadaka Eric Killmonger has, um, that this is actually self-injury and not any kind of scarification practice is that all of his scars can be covered up. They are not visible. Mm. Um, it, he grew up in Oakland, so this wouldn't be like a socially acceptable act. Um, and it's it's causing like significant distress. Also, I think uh, I don't I don't know if I could like I can't. It's a it's a fictional character, but like we could get into like he was doing this after killing people, right? So so this was a way that he was developing to sort of like cope with the stress of having murdered people and. Um, you know, he's a he's a, a black ops trained, basically killing machine by the U.S. government. And this is this is what he started doing. He started scar- um, mm. scarring his body in order to, like, deal with those things. Right. And it's personal. Like he wasn't doing it as any kind of um, like cultural practice. It was it was for him. Um, and and how how I like to think about it is that it was also a way for him to deal with grief. And um, like a relief from like having to to kill. There was a moment where he was like, I had to kill my own brothers and sisters on this continent. So this is not something that he's doing as a celebration. Um, uh, and then, uh, so I, I guess I wanted to talk personally. So um, I think a lot of <laughs> so um, So this is actually the first time I'm ever going to talk about this publicly. Um, and I was hella nervous to do so. And if I don't make it through this uh, segment without crying... I'm going to keep it in because I feel like it's an important part of, first of all, normalizing for myself that it's okay to cry and also that this shit is hard to talk about. Mm-hmm. And just because I'm a mental health professional <laughs> doesn't mean that like You're I don't- You're not still a human being? I'm not human and that I haven't had experiences that brought me to this place myself. So I know I probably lost all my feminist friends <laughs> on social media by saying that I identify with Killmonger. Um, I, I wore the sweatshirt last night <laughs> to watch Black Panther again. And, I, you know, I saw some of my homies there and they was like, wow, that's what we doing? Killmonger, really? And I'm like, yes. But <laughs> So I have been in recovery from self-injury for uh, two years now. Uh, was the last time I self-injured. Hmm. Um, and it started, I can't even remember, honestly, I was trying to, t- I was talking to my little sister before we recorded, um, I think I was in fourth grade, and I didn't, I, I had never heard or known anything about it, I, it started with scratching, um, which is a, a really common, uh, self-injury behavior is, uh, scratching, uh, and it eventually sort of, like, escalated or elevated to um like breaking the skin which led to like cutting um and I thought that it was important for me to talk about this because I had never heard a black girl yeah talk about self-injury before and so I felt like a fucking freak all through high school, which then contributed to um, the behaviors. Um, When I was ending 
um, college, it got really bad because I had no other way to deal with my anxiety and worry. And those are two big things that go into non-suicidal self-injury. And I want, Mm. I I feel like I want to stress the non-suicidal part because, um, like there are self-injurious behaviors that people engage in, but they do it because they do have this, um, want or need to end their lives. And, and self-harm is not that. So it, it, sometimes we call it NSSI. It's non-suicidal. Um, it's basically a coping mechanism that has spun out of control. And so that's that's what I felt like um, Killmonger was dealing with. And it's probably because that's, that's what I was dealing with. So I'm reading, you know, you see, you see yourself reflected in things, right? And so that's what I was feeling. Um, and so, yeah, it, it was a way that, because whenever I would like scratch or cut, it became like something tangible that I could focus on to like, like that was like manageable hurt or healing as opposed to worry or anxiety that I couldn't touch. I couldn't explain why I was feeling that way. It felt, you know, it it feels like all this, all the things that anxiety feels like, um, it felt very like fixed and focused when I could just be like, okay, um, now I'm bleeding. So I can, I can just find a bandaid and fix it. And that is like easy. That's easy to deal with. But this shit inside of me like that, that is not easy to deal with. So I'm not going to do it. Um, and and so I guess I wanted to talk about like that part too that that there's a process um, involved with self injury. So sometimes um, so sometimes people think that it's just like this, I don't know, like for attention thing. And actually, uh, it's a it's a big secretive thing. So that's why I wanted to put the difference between scarification yeah. and self injury um, is that this is a whole process like. You find a spot where you know people won't like notice as um as much or uh and, and are able to point it out and see it or that you can easily make up like a um a story for how you got it you know so like if you're cutting your knee you can easily say oh girl fell off my bike scrape money you know like stuff like that um and it's it almost becomes like ritualistic so it's yeah. it's this um for me it was. It was how I learned to deal with my anxiety. Um, and had I learned better coping mechanisms earlier, I would have never like had to choose that as the way to deal with it. Um, so I just want... I know that a lot of other girls of color are out there dealing with self-injury. And um, actually, I don't think that this is new. <laughs> but uh, sadly, research is always far behind what's actually going on. But it stuck out to me that Killmonger was the character um, that resonated with me uh, for this for several reasons. One, because my life would be so much easier if I looked like Michael B. Jordan. But also, <laughs> but also um, that uh, there's been a lot of focus on like my type of self injury, like cutting, burning, scratching, those type things. But the way it looks for black boys is like very different. And I would, I would like go as far as to say boys of color. So if, um, if we're talking about like punching walls or like banging your head on a wall or doing things like that, like 
that I know I grew up with cousins who did that to like deal with anxiety, to deal with anger. And sure, they might not have put those words to it, but that's what it was, right? Right. Um, And so just, you know, like check on folks and be like, are you okay, sis? You know, like I was talking to my sister before this mostly because I wanted her to know before I taped the episode. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't want her to listen to it and not know. So I had to call and tell her. Um, and actually the first time I ever like publicly said this out loud was kind of like an accident a few weeks ago before we recorded talking to friends and, um, like somebody, it just caught me off guard. Somebody asked me about like the scars on my arm and I was like, Oh, I'm in recovery from cutting. (laughs) And I just like laughed uncontrollably to like, again, regulate my anxiety, you know, like, uh, yeah, and I, so, <laughs> so yeah, um, and so what I, what I was going to say was that my sister said, uh, I always kind of knew, she was like, I remember one time I had asked you about your arm and you said a cat scratched you, <laughs> and then another time I asked you about your arm, you just kind of gave me this look, and I knew that mm-hmm. if it was an accident, like, nobody would give me that look. Right. Um, so... So, yeah, um, just check in, y'all. And, um, like I said, I'm tr- I hope this isn't too heavy, but I didn't want it to stay in that, like, shit, uh, girls of color self-injure too, and, um, that maybe, <laughs> maybe I fucked up your whole idea about Michael B. Jordan being sexy with his shirt off, because now I'm talking about it as self-injury, but, um, I wanted to talk about the three F's that helped me um, say fuck it to self-injury. So my three F's. The first is find a friend. So, um, what does, what did Nikita say? If it's mentionable, it's It's manageable. manageable. Yeah. Um, and so while I never disclosed to anybody that I was cutting, I did start talking to people about, um, my anxiety. I feel like I'm about to cry. That's okay. Um, I would always... How I would start is I would tell people I'm a worrier and like my worry doesn't stop and it's like constant, constant. And um, um, that that was me finding friends. That was my F. And um, talking to other black women who were like, girl, yeah, I feel like that too. Um, and picking their brains about how they deal with it. Um, um, and so if I can bring myself to talk about the inside stuff that's hard to talk about, then, then I know this thing will go away. Right. And so I started finding friends around anxiety and worry. And the minute I connected there, it was just like, like the skies opened up and I could finally see the sun. Um, so yeah, so that's my first F. Um, to say fuck you to self-injury is to find a friend. Um, talk about it. And if you've never talked about it with anybody, like, try to do that. Try to find some just one person, um, just one person that you can talk to about it. Um, the second F is figure your trigger. Um, and so this is figuring out what triggers you. Um, so I know that for me, self-injury was about dealing with anxiety and worry, but I, I couldn't put my finger on like what 
the what was triggering my anxiety and worry. Now I have a whole damn list. I could tell you. I could tell you. Like this is what does it. Um, and this is gonna be really weird, but actually, some smells are triggers for me for when I I used to be really active in my self injury. Um, like I'll I'll smell something and I'll I'll want to um, cut. Cause, cause like I said, it becomes ritualistic, like the way you, you deal with it. Uh, so now I know that and I, and I, and I like really avoid those smells. Like for some of y'all who know me, like to the point where I make my own fucking lotion. Like I haven't used, I haven't used store-bought moisturizers and lotions in um, like almost 10 years because I recognize that, oh, this, this actually, this scent, and that sounds so silly, but, um, if you know anything about, uh, I, I, I hate to like do this comparison, but if you know anything about like, um, addiction and stuff like that, it can be something like a song or passing by a place or a, 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 a or anything like that. That reminds you of when you were so deep in it, like that I really had to start preserving myself from those things. And so figure out what triggers the anxiety, the worry, or those um, like needs to self-injure. And the last F would be find another way to cope. And that is like the biggest one. Um, And y'all know my ass is going to be like, find a therapist. Uh, But really, if... Even if a therapist is shitty, they should be able to help you identify coping mechanisms. Uh, For me, it was painting. Um, When I first stopped cutting, my shirts were really torn around around the sleeve. I would always wear long sleeves. uh, And I would just, like, pick at the sleeve and... um, so for me that was a thing. Like I would I would I would be happy. Like I would congratulate myself for for picking at the sleeve instead of picking at my skin. Um and so it was like a step down, you know, like in severity. So this is this is all about like not injuring myself, right? So I would be like, "Ooh, bitch, you did it." Like like you you picked at your shirt all day instead of your arm. And that's a that's a a step. And, um, so then from there I went to, okay, I need to keep my hands busy if I'm feeling anxious. So I started painting, I, um, crochet, my, you know, my whole family crochets, um, my mama crochet all the time. And so I know how to crochet. So I was doing that. I would rearrange my room, like anything I could do to keep my hands busy while I was anxious. I know now it's like cool to have fidget items so if that's a fidget spinner if that's one of the fidget cubes um that has the different textures and buttons and shit on the sides of it that you have to use uh if you have to carry around a stress ball a bag of sand like I know people who do so much stuff to um just keep their hands occupied if that means that you don't have any, uh, like, free blades or razors or anything like that in your house. Like, all those things, right? Just whatever you have to do to keep yourself safe and to find other ways to cope. Um, one of my friends started doing makeup. And, like, that was that was the thing. It's like, it's like her meditative time that she does that 
during the day. And, like, that's an outlet for her anxiety. Um, you know, all the, all the cliche ways to deal with anxiety. Like, exercising and going for a walk and... Um, all of those things. And I say they're cliche, but they work. Like, like doing those. Um, so, yeah. To recap, those three Fs are find a friend, find, figure your trigger, and find another way to cope. Um, and I could probably give a more clear list of ways to cope when I'm not, like, screaming in my head. Like, I, bitch, you about to broadcast this in the world! <laughs> oh, God. Everybody gonna fucking know <laughs> <laughs> oh well, I'm just been sitting over here silently crying. I'm sorry. No, that's no. It's just really. I mean, it's just extremely helpful. I think that this is just. Um, I'm I'm not one to ever use this word, but it's just so it's just so brave of you to just you know to do this, and I feel like you're always. Um, the thing I'm not. I mean, I think we know between us. I'm. I'm not anything close to a, an open book. I feel like that little diary that you had when you were eight, and you had that little key, and you had to lock it, and I probably got a chain around it and all that kind of stuff. But I really just, I mean, I say, I use this word every time we have the, um, you do the segment, but I really just admire you for that. You know, I think it's just, um, I think mental health stuff in, in general is just so taboo, but especially, and as you were talking about this, I was just thinking about my own, like, fucked up ideas I had around cutting when I was um, a teenager, because I think, I don't think I know I had, um, even though I know I had friends of color who um, did some kind of self-injury, and, you know, I love those friends to pieces, it mm. always felt like, um you mentioned it. Like, I always just thought about some little white girl doing mm-hmm, something for mm-hmm. attention. And, like, that's actually not... Um, and I think you've made it... Made the case very clearly that that's actually not the case, mm-hmm. you know? And I actually remember once I was in high school and I went to a um, something that my high school had for, like, self-injuring, basically. And I was the only person of color in there. And it felt like they... We're saying, why are you here? Yeah. And so I never went back. Exactly. And I, you know, I continued to cut for six years after that. Right. Um, And so this is really hard, but I was like, if if somebody can like hear me, you know, like my, my sister was saying that like when we talk about stuff on here, it makes a difference to somebody. Right, right. And I'm like... I, I know that that's the face of self-injury. Yeah. And so I guess that's... You know, I cried good tears and bad tears in Black Panther. But um, while I think we do need to celebrate, like, you know, parts sure. of our culture, like, I think a lot of our culture has to deal with pain and, yeah. like, this fucked up relationship that we have to it. And, um, again, I'm owning that my my view of that. But I don't think I'm off. I don't think I'm off when he when he was describing like why mm. he burned himself. You know, it's like, uh, like it, it, we do it too. I guess like and I don't I don't want to say that as like it, it feels shitty to be like this is a space we need to be included in. But um, if like hearing me say I deal with it, especially like I'm a therapist and um, like it's really important for me to always say like um, like becoming a healer was forged out of my experiences in life. Like, yeah. I, you know, I, it makes me very different than these, like, 
bitches that they mass producing from New Jersey who ain't never been, you know, like. Um, I just I just imagine some factory. <laughs> they just, crank, just cranking out just Kirsten. Go, going on just a whole bunch of Kirsten just going across a conveyor belt. Pretty much. <laughs> Hi, I'm Kirsten. Hi, I'm Kirsten. Hi, I'm Kirsten. Yeah. No. That was really helpful. Especially the bit about, um, ooh, girl, you know, the anxiety and the worry. Mm -hmm. That was, I think that's when my tears started coming because you know I'm a mess in that regard. But I appreciate that. And Yeah, I just think that this is one way that anxiety and worry looks that, like, if we could just, like, funnel, if we could start having those conversations, like, all the fucked up ways that we learn to deal with our anxiety right. and worry could change. Right. Um, and, you know, like I said, this is just one way this looks. But what if, what would it look like in a world where we could openly talk about dealing with anxiety? Yeah, yeah. So. Wow. Yeah. This was, wow. This was very helpful. And, I mean, you just said, you know, this will help somebody. But this sounds so cheesy, but it's so true. It's like we don't have to look too far. I feel like the person that it, this has helped is sitting right next to you so I really appreciate this thanks Ada. Mm-hmm. because like I like I had told you about when I like accidentally yeah. told our friends about it yeah but I didn't talk to you about it then and so yeah but now we talking bitch <laughs> <laughs> I feel like this helped me too <laughs> like a newsletter you didn't subscribe to, but you <laughs> but you find you find like other people through it. You know, yeah. it's like I about um, to say they gonna yeah. this will have to be some um us both crying is gonna be some exclusive queer white content. I'm <laughs> <laughs> like we might have to bury this uh this episode like put it in <laughs> put it in the vault. You will never prove that I cried, bitch. <laughs> no, this is healthy. Because, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, you're talking about um, unhealthy coping mechanisms. And it's like, you know, we just never feel like we're allowed to talk about this stuff. And you just always feel like, oh, okay, I can take it. I can deal with it. Mm-hmm. I'll just keep it to myself. And then... You explode. I just remember somebody's... Um, this is a while ago. I was just, like, scrolling on Facebook, somebody. And somebody posted something like, you know, there's so many folks out here. So many black folks. They were talking about the Academy in general. They were like just in the academy, just brilliant and crazy. They're mm-hmm. like, people just out here not getting no help mm-hmm. and just out here, you know, don't have, can't find nary a good, uh, healthy coping mechanism. Yeah. So even if you think, so I think the two things is like, I think what was helpful is that you expanded what how we're thinking about self-injury, but I think getting us broadly, because even if self-injury may not be your unhealthy coping mechanism, mm-hmm. There's, I'm so many of us have other ones. Oh yeah, right. That we're not like getting to the root of. So. I think especially when we talk about communities of color and queer folks, um, yeah. substance use is number one right. unhealthy coping mechanisms. You know, just like, and when I say unhealthy, I mean when it starts to impact your like optimal functioning. Yeah, like could you be. Could you what do they, what do they call it? Glowed up? Could could you glow up had you not been doing this? Right. right. And so that's what I mean by unhealthy. I'm not saying unhealthy as like medical terminology. Right. Like right, that's right. not what I mean, bitch. Like <laughs> I mean, like it was getting to the point where like my behavior was debilitating. Yeah. Me, you exactly. know, like I can't go places because I can't wear the certain thing because I like have this fresh cut. That yeah. I you know, it's like yeah, and same same thing with 
with substance use. You know, it's like, damn, I done lost my fucking job because I'm drinking when I wake up just to, like, get me started for the day. When it starts to impact your, like, optimal functioning, that's when it's like, okay, maybe we need to do an adjustment here. I love us for real. (laughs) I'm sorry. Wakanda forever. And all that shit, you know. Killmonger was wrong, but he was right. But he was wrong. I did that. You did And I'm not going to cut it. Don't cut it. I'm telling myself right now. I'm like, don't cut it. Don't Leave it in. (laughs) Okay. All right. Nikita, we're going to go on to the word. The good word. And you was up here uh, talking about in the beginning. You've already given the word. <laughs> what you talking about? Oh, with the the crow I could have Yeah. I did give a low key word. <coughs> In the beginning. <laughs> this week's episode is brought to you by International, International Women's, Women's Day. Day. Not yet. Okay. <laughs> okay. Maybe it's just me. Let's simmer down. <laughs> All right. So, this episode is going to drop on March 1st. Mm-hmm. So, I think we call that Women's History Month, um, but March 8th is actually International Women's Day. And I just kind of wanted to talk a little bit about kind of what I normally do, right? And what we have a tendency to do on the show. Talk about the history of how it started and just talk about, I really want to, um, for the contemporary, I just want to talk about some of the stuff that the um, a lot of the organizers wanted to highlight last year. And then something that they're trying to do with some of the actions um, this year. So, International Women's Day um, is actually, um, the roots of the holiday are actually very much rooted and um, workers' movements, and particularly the like socialist um, movements. So it's about, we're going on to like 100 some odd years of this holiday being around. I think I saw a thing where it said in 1909 in New York, there was a group of women um, that celebrated a National Women's Day. But in the kind of the official origins or genesis of the holiday start started in um, 1910. And so there was a German socialist named uh, Clara Zetkin or Zeitkin. And there was a conference in Copenhagen and it was the second international conference of socialist women. And so Clara Zetkin put forward a resolution um, that said of, of this, the second international, which was the, um, the, the the organization of like international socialists. And so she put forward a resolution saying that socialists should specifically and explicitly um, be committed to fighting against uh, women's oppression and say, making the case that women specifically had a role to play within the broader socialist movement. So the roots of it, so the roots of International Women's Day, like I said, are very much rooted in like the socialist tradition, but also very much um, um, rooted in um, like by extension, like working class women, right? Mm-hmm. Workers, women, and you know, as workers. Um, and so, of course, during that time in the early 1900s, you know, so 
committed to fighting women's oppression broadly, but also talking about, you know, they were trying to connect the political demands around um, the the right to vote, you know, trying to tie those demands within the, the broader economic demands that they were um, fighting for. And so just kind of like a brief, um, some other kind of highlights after um, 1910 is uh, a lot of folks on the left, you know, are used to the phrase, have heard have heard the phrase bread and roses. Mm-hmm. I got the bread and roses award. Oh, you did, yeah. bitch. That's right. Because yeah, I was popping. And you're about to say, a living legend right here in your living room. Oh, girl. Oh. <laughs> that was really quite a bird call. And I mean that in all its uh, sense. So the Where does it come from, though? Because I don't know. I'm, I'm about to tell you. Oh, if sorry. you stop doing your, your bird calls. <laughs> So the that phrase "bread and roses" came out of the nineteen came out of a strike that happened um, in Lawrence, Massachusetts, in nineteen twelve. So there was a group of so there's uh, women who were working in the textile industry, mostly immigrant women. They went on strike, and the strike included uh, women from over forty different countries. And so, damn, what international kind of, women? International women's day, bitch, right? <laughs> And so what happened was that they, the women were experiencing um, a cut in their hours. And so that basically meant subsequently that their wages were going to be cut. Mm-hmm. So this was led by another radical um, organization called uh, IWW, the Industrial um, Workers of the World. Um, and they're also known as um, the Wobblies. <laughs> so... The women went out on strike. You know, a lot of women went out on strike. And one of the things that um, people say kind of like push the movement uh, or push the broadened sympathy for the strike was that because these were women and women predominantly do a lot of the, of course, child rearing Mm -hmm. and child um, caring for children. One of the things that the IWW organized is that there was basically like brigades of the women's children went to go place... Went to went went to sympathizers within like New York and Vermont, and so that created like a lot of like uh, the women's children because they were on strike were going to um, people who were sympathetic mm-hmm. um, in these other places, and the idea was like like women um, had they were engaged in like serious like a serious battle and serious work, and somebody needed to take care of the children, mm-hmm. and so that was um, that was that again that came from some of the the people like. Um, Elizabeth Gurley Flynn and others are part of like the IWW. So where does the phrase bread and roses come from? So they were saying that they wanted their bread and roses. And this happened in 1912, but there was a poem. I can't remember from the guy, but there's a line that says, um, our lives shall not be sweated from birth until life closes. Hearts starve as well as bodies. Give us bread, but give us roses. And so the idea is, I mean, basically, you know, what, movements have always been saying is right we have our what we call our bread and butter issues Mm -hmm. like things that help us you know sustain to like stay alive Mm -hmm. but there's also other parts of life you know that you know capitalism patriarchy and other things like rob us from right and so that's the part about like the roses Mm -hmm. right and so that was another like um huge um you know Huge uprising of, you know, specifically like working women, you know, fighting for um, better conditions um, in the lives and in the uh, particularly like at the workplace. And that also then sh- like ended up, sh- what is it, showing a big light on the really um, brutal and awful working conditions within like the textile and garment industry mm-hmm. um, broadly. 
And so, I'm, I'm go ahead. I don't want to interrupt, but I just am thinking about like how powerful that is. Is like it, it's like that. Um, I can't remember the comedian, but he's like, we just ask for the bare minimum when we fighting for rights. But these women was like bread and roses. Right, right, like, right. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh wow. Um, I, f- I totally forgot that you won that award. That just really brings it. <laughs> That is so eerie. That, that makes, just brings it full circle. I mean, it meant a lot to me anyway because it's from Women and Gender Studies right. Department. But I didn't know that that was the, that's the that's, that's the history. why it's called that. Yeah. Right. So um, another thing. I mean, I would. So if we if we recognize that this you know has roots within um, socialist organizing, I would be totally remiss if I didn't mention the, the Russian, Russian Revolution. Revolution. Oh but but, but there's a good reason. <laughs> there's a really good reason I for mentioning bring this it. up every episode. I, I don't would never know. <laughs> This, I mean, when the stars align, you have to do what you have to do. So, actually, one of the like the opening salvos of the Russian Revolution. Please shut up and let me speak. Okay, I'm, I'm listening. I'm listening. Are you done? You just so nerdy when you go on your Russian Revolution. Shut up. Okay. Let me get through this. Like I was saying, one of the opening salvos. Of the Russian Revolution. When you use words like... It was basically kicked off by women because... So there's a whole bunch of women that went on strike because there was a bread and a food shortage. Yet again, we come back to the bread. And so... So it's no accident that we use the word bread to mean like money then. Wow. We're just really bringing it all together here. Um, And so... um, the socialists, so because women obviously played a huge role in, you know, kicking off one of the most important revolutions of the 20th, not even one of the important revolutions, but like one of the most important like historical events in the 20th century. And you could see that there was, and so this, you know, made, so this is one of the things that made socialists realize that they needed to take uh, women's oppression uh, seriously. And so one of the things, once workers um, came to power um, in Russia during the Russian Revolution, some of the contributions that um, that they made was um, making sure they recognized that, you know, women needed equality, not just in the workplace, so in terms of paid work, but one of the really the big contributions of uh, Marxist feminists and, social, and, like, feminists within, like, the socialist movements is understanding... Um, the importance of like the unpaid labor that women um, engage in, right? Mm. And so one of the things that the the workers that ushered in, you know, the new state um, during the Russian Revolution was that they were doing things like um, collectivizing laundry, so making sure that um, you know that wasn't yeah. just like the drudgery that was happening right. um, in you know, your own like private individual um, like home. And I'm going to make a plug for people always talk about. Angela Davis's Women, Race, and Class. But the chapter, I think, that goes so under the radar that more people need to read is that, I think it's chapter eight, but it's called The Approaching Obsolescence of Housework. And so one of the things that she talks about um, in that um, in that chapter is the, you know, this is the term that she uses um, and a term that, like, Lenin also used to talk about women's work and a lot of social uh, socialists, but particularly mm-hmm. feminists mm-hmm. and women in general talk about the drudgery that it is to do mm-hmm. housework. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that um, Angela Davis makes, the point that she makes in that um, article is that 
Because there was a movement in the 70s, wages for housework, where women were saying, like, the work that we do in the home it's, is paid labor. Yes. And so, but Angela Davis was trying to extend the argument further. She was like, that would be an important win. And that's an important demand. She's like, but it doesn't, she's like, it doesn't, that doesn't actually address the fact that that work, like, it's actually, how do we actually collectivize you know right. that work and do that work like, and, right and do mm-hmm. that work socially your house your problem exactly so how can we, so, how can we so that that's one of the so again we should put a link to that but that's just mm. anyway one of my favorites so they collectivized laundry they collectivized um like restaurants and also um child care oh wow and so again this is what um and i'm going to talk about some of these points some of the what the organizers of last year's um, international, like the women's strike last year and this year, they're making those some of those um, similar connections. But um, I just kind of talked about those two points in like the early 20th century, but it's important to point out that um, actually International Women's Day was mostly celebrated in countries with strong socialist movements, countries that, you know, some people say, I mean, I don't want to get into this debate about whether certain countries are socialist or not, but the places that have... Um, that people generally say, you know, have been socialist. That's where it was mostly celebrated mm-hmm. up until all the way until 1975. Yeah. And so then it's in 1975 where, like, that's when the UN declares, like, International Women's, you know, in, International Women's Day. And it's totally been, in a lot of ways, watered um, down. Yeah, watered mm-hmm. down mm-hmm. and um, depoliticized. So. Folks like um, Kianga Yamada Taylor, um, Tithi Bhattacharya, um, and Angela Davis, and so many others um, last year um, were making a point that we need to kind of go back to this, what they were, they were calling a feminism of the 99%, going back to the Occupy language. And so one of the things that, um, in an interview that, um, I think it was Kianga made the point or is it either Kianga or Tithi where they were saying, like, we need to get away from the quote-unquote lean-in feminism. So, you know, Sheryl Sandberg had that book, like, Lean In, basically for high-powered women and CEOs, mm-hmm. you know, CEOs, mm-hmm. the way that they get better is by being better at the negotiating table. And I was like, what... What does that mean for? But bitch, I'm not at the negotiating. And I, I'm not yeah. going to be able to negotiate right. at my way at, at my low wage yes, job. Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. Most women don't have like the luxury to be able to you know do that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that they did last year was they called for. Um, and this happened. It wasn't even just here in the U.S., but that's where I'm focusing on. But across like the um, like within like thirty or fifty countries, there are women that engaged in um you know, strikes um, and that kind of thing. And so one of the important things is like pointing out how um, women and particularly like women's work is devalued. So one of the groups I remember going on strike um, last year, um, there was like a lot of teachers and like we know that. So it's not just the fact that women teachers are devalued, but because the teaching is a form of care work, the whole right. profession, profession right. is devalued. And yeah. like right now, as we speak, mm-hmm. um, work there's a, teachers all across West Virginia are on, are on strike, even though it's illegal for them to do engage to in any kind of collective mm-hmm. bargaining. But they say that the um, the the profession has just been so devalued, and the pay is mm-hmm. just so low that like they were basically forced, yeah. you know. To, uh, to, you know, to raise their um, conditions and, you know, to speak out against, like, what's happening um, 
to their um to their field and like to their work. And so um we see it with the feminization of any field. The feminization like, yeah. of any field, mm-hmm. exactly. And so and it's especially important last year that they were calling out like that kind of lean in feminism because we were all supposed to be ready for Hillary, right? You know what I'm saying? And it's like her kind of like white, you know, liberal, you know, bourgeois feminism. It left so much to so, be desired, yeah. which is why, like, to be frank, why she didn't win, right? Yeah. Because she wasn't offering any kind of agenda. She didn't say anything. Yeah, she didn't say was, anything ex- exactly. that would be inclusive to women of color, to queer folks. It's like, you're, you're, it's white feminism. Right, and, and right, I don't right. even, I wish there was another word you can use because... I don't know. Maybe it is feminism for white people, white women, but it leaves so much out. Like, and it it doesn't. When I think about feminism, it's supposed to like critique and challenge directly challenge like these systems of oppression, right, and power, and like specifically real like, and white patriarchy, capitalism. Yeah. I yes. feel like not enough um, f- feminists, uh, you know. Have an anti-capitalist exactly, yeah. And so then there's there's really not that because like Hillary was like on the fence. I don't even think she supported the um like the increasing of the 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 minimum wage to like fifteen dollars. And we know just and if we're already talking about low wage work, we know who's like in that kind of work. Mm -hmm. That's the thing that would support um you know particularly um you know women, but particularly like women of color or like you know there's this new movement for like Medicare for all like universal health care it's like where is she on that shit you know what I'm saying so it's like Quiet. and so that was kind of the thing that they were um talking that like that was some of the points that they were raising um last year and I'm gonna post we could put it in the show notes mm-hmm. uh, so it was uh Tithi Bhattacharya, Linda Alcoff, Cynthia Ruza, Rosa Clemente, um, Barbara Smith, Kianga Taylor, Yamada Taylor, Nancy Frazier. So basically all the heroes. Basically. Mm-hmm. So they put they put this um wrote this article in The Guardian. And so they were making the connection between how there's the talk all all of a lot of talk around Me Too and like the time's up and talking about um like you know the the big light that's been shown on like sexual assault and sexual predators. One of the things that I think they do really great um, in this article is they talk about while they are totally in support, like hands down, talking about calling to task and basically bringing down the individuals you know that have done some of these like horrific you know s- sexual assaults and that kind of thing. They're also talking about how women don't have enough. Fighting so that women have um, the power specifically in their workplaces and building up unions and other ways of fighting to combat, to address these things. Because because one of the things, you know, that, you know, people talked about and that we can't forget to mention is that, yes, it was a lot of like these rich white women who were like talking about what was happening in the industry, but this is all, these are also like workplace issues. Like these mm-hmm. women were being assaulted and harassed by, on their job, by, yeah. by their bosses. Yeah. And so, you know, as we saw with, um, what was that award show? I don't remember. But like when people were yeah. talking about like, well, if this is the case for Hollywood celebrities, then what is the case for like domestic workers yes. or restaurant for like restaurant workers, restaurant yeah. workers, mm-hmm. farm workers. Mm-hmm. And so, um, Oh, yeah. So it's like on March 8th, we will speak out, 
personally against the individual abusers who tried to ruin our lives. And we will speak out collectively against the economic insecurity that prevents us from speaking out. And so I just really, really, um, again, they, I think they really do a, a fantastic job mm-hmm. of tying, like tying together, like the, our personal experiences, but like this broader fight for like collective mm-hmm. power to, mm-hmm. um, to address like the yeah. systemic, like abuse and exploitation. Yeah. And, and what that quote also does to me, just on the, like a little nerdy aside is that a lot of times we get into like, story um but don't see story as like method right and um like narrative as a method of resistance right so like even 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 one story is too fucking much for like abuse exploitation but like the collective power of our stories is transformative so we should never devalue and undervalue our stories exactly yeah so happy international (laughs) i'm like after you just like snatched edges with that International Wednesday, May 8th. March, March 8th, 8th, my bad. March 8th. Thanks, Nikita. Yeah, I do what I could. I just, I don't know. I guess I just always love how women of color <laughs> you always <laughs> present socialism. I tr- I really try to like, do that. And, and I guess that's, that's why I've... I don't know, been like so receptive to it because the the ways that it was presented to me was through you and through like other well, like radical women of color. And I just appreciate you de-whitening that every episode. <laughs> so speaking of like two examples, so I was I was like when I was looking for this, I was trying to find like some like historical examples. Um like what other like radical women of color have done historically around like international uh women's day. So Like, this is, like, a small thing, but I was just... I saw, like, this poster. So, from the Third World Women's Alliance, which is, like, a really radical, revolutionary women of color um, alliance that was fighting not just, like, you know, around sexism and, like, racism, but also very much anti-imperialist, right? Very much anti-capitalist. And if you look on this poster, it's, like, International Women's Day celebration, 1977. And so, they had this event from, like, 1 to 4 p.m., there was a dollar um, donation and child care provided, mm. you know, and mm. it's like, and so, that sounds like silly, but like, no, what, it doesn't. Yeah. So organizations like access and space, like a lot of people can't come to stuff because they don't have child care. And so, so having a space like that where you can bring your kids. Right. And they, yeah. And that's mm. like, like we just had a meeting today um, for my job and there was like six six, seven kids there. We've got this amazing child care collective here mm-hmm. that went, so groups that are, are like organizing and they do, um, they they offer like child care. And, the, and not only is it just like, they're just like babysitting kids, but they're also like introducing the kids to like radical like history <laughs> and that kind of thing. So it's like, um, that's just like really fantastic. And I also through like, the last thing I'll mention was there's another flyer I saw from this organization called the Ant- Atlanta Anti-Imperialist Coalition. Have you ever fucking heard of that? No. And so they had this flyer. Um, it was like, men and women unite to celebrate International um, Women's Day. And you could see just how it was kind of a different time. Because they had somebody from the National Organization of Women. And like that's totally like a solid liberal. Mm-hmm. Like nobody thinks about that as like a, rash, a radical um, organization. They had this woman, Ethel May Matthews, from the National Welfare Rights um, Organization. And um, they had music. They had music. You and know this was black as shit. Um, somebody from a caucus of like rank and file workers, 
And so I was just like, and like that's right in motherfucking Atlanta. Atlanta. Yeah. So like the, the, that is like a, and that's this is one of those things that like. This is a piece of our like radical history that they try to keep from us, right? Right. Because like I think I'd We've heard about International this. Women's Day like mm-hmm. in high school, but didn't nobody tell me that socialists yeah. had anything to do with this kind of shit yeah. or radicals. And, and you, definitely not that. The <laughs> like, Atlanta, like black people in Atlanta was <laughs> <laughs> with music. And I was just like, I bet that was lit. Well, thank you for that good word. <laughs> wow. This is really an emotional roller coaster of episode. I, I was just thinking, it's getting harder and harder for me to find um, titles to these episodes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm about to just start calling them, just listen, bitch. <laughs> That's part, part one. That's scooch bitch. That's scooch bitch. Yeah, because it is queer women of color. It is. Once we learn how to say listen in other languages. In other languages, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Somebody, y'all should just leave us like a string of comments on how to say listen in different languages. Oh my God, please. <laughs> please. <laughs> so that could be the episode titles. So the first one will be listen, bitch. The next one is escucha, bitch. Right. <laughs> we just keep going. Ooh. All right. Well, we don't have a topic. Because it's been a rough ass week. It's been a rough week. And that that's the topic right there in itself. So I guess I'm just going to talk about my queer ass experience in this space. But I wanted to um, shout out one of our friends, Sequoia. Who oh my God, does yes. um, like birth work. And um, like, what what would you call it? Like, she's she, like what, she calls work. herself a birth worker. Oh yeah. But it's a, like a, a birth coach and just... Every way that you think about, like, social justice and related to, like, how we even come into this world. And she's, I mean, the bitch is fucking magic. Like, just, like, I mean, I just can't, I can't express that enough. Like, I just look at her sometimes and be like, how do you even exist? Right. Um, But she had a a workshop called um, Birthing While Black this weekend. And first of all... Like, like this is part of the reason why I've been to see Black Panther so much, too. Because I haven't seen this many black people in a public space in Syracuse. Oh, my God. Since I've been here. And her event was similar, right? Like, you just walk into a room and you're just surrounded by, like, 20, 30 black people. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, this is... Right. Again, this bitch is magic. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so, aside from, you know, the room being smelling and looking beautiful, um, like, she, she was talking about, like birth working and uh, like supporting like oh my gosh like just the the statistics you hear about like black women and the, the stories about black women while birthing um black people in general when it comes to like reproductive health and like trying to further generations um but anyway so I, the reason why i wanted to talk about this event not only because sequoia's bomb is that um like myself and another black queer woman was there and we both talked. We both talked like openly about like this is the first time we've ever been in a, like a reproductive justice, birth workers yeah. space that felt like affirming to queerness. Mm. And and it again is like one of those moments where you want to cry because yeah. it's like damn. So one of one of the um, doulas uh, there, um, she was talking about chest feeding instead of breastfeeding. Oh, wow. And just that choice of words right. had us in tears. Like, 
bitch, she quit her exclusive. <laughs> like, you know, just, um, and she was saying, you know, I can't take credit for that. I'm like, yes, you can. Because that's, like, those little moves in our language kick down barriers yeah. and, like, make spaces so open to people. Right. Like, it was just like, wow, like, just that, yeah. you know? Um, and so we, so we both sort of openly reflected about being queer in a space. Um, the language that they were using around, like, partners being there. Yeah. And um, I was telling you this after one of the episodes that, like, that black queer women are, like, the more, most likely to be raising kids, like, yeah. in their relationships. Yeah. And I was like, damn. And they just... They just there doing it, and they and they doing it. It ain't no extra shit on you to be queer inclusive, you know? Right, like, right. She's still up there doing the the same like demonstrations, giving yeah. you the same facts. You gonna get all the shit that you need to without being transphobic and homophobic. Right. It's it's just effortless. Right. And so that felt amazing. And so, yeah, I just wanted to talk about that because I was like, wow. That's the first time I had been in a... You know, we were just... Um, so, I wasn't able to go to that, but mm-hmm. the, there was that night we were... I think it was Valentine's Day. We were all just, like, hanging yeah. out. Mm-hmm. And, like, Sequoia was just, like, going... Like... Yeah. She was just, like... I, it just She just fundamentally, like, changed the way that I thought about, like, um, birthing, mm-hmm. child-rearing, and everything like mm-hmm. that. And I mean, she's really... She's, yeah. And you could just... And she's just so, like, passionate about it. Yeah. so, like, dedicated. Yeah. You could just, yeah. like, and I'm just like, wow. I feel <laughs> like this, I just have a comment that's going to, like, thread everything that we've been talking about together. Go ahead. Because this episode needs a title. Well, don't look for this. Don't look for, the title <laughs> will not be in here. As This whole conversation around, like, pe- when people ask me if I want children, I feel like mm. I've always said no. Mm. Because the the full answer is actually... I've honestly never, going back to, like, the, you know, the mental health and, like, the coping mechanisms, it's, like, I never imagined myself being either financially or, like, mentally stable enough Mm -hmm. to, like, Mm -hmm. have children. Mm -hmm. So it's not about whether I wanted them or not. It's, like, Mm -hmm. I felt, like, there was, like, a, I guess it's, like, a deficit. I was, like, I didn't see it within me to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. But I guess the thing that I was, um, you know, we have friends, you know, with kids, and I'm around people that have kids. And the thing that, and you feel like you're unable to do it because it's the thing that you're supposed to be doing within your small little nuclear exactly. family. Exactly, exactly. And so, like, when I, like, I see how, like, our friends, you know, like, are very, like, intentional. I mean, it's still tough, right? Because it's like, the society at large is not, like, conducive to collective um, care or, like, you know, mm-hmm. institutions mm-hmm. aren't committed to that. But, like, thinking, like... I still don't know if I particularly want them or if I'm like, like it just seems like a lot of work that I, I don't know if I feel like I want to do or, I'm, or capable of doing. It was like, a, I just, I was like feeling like a little neurotic just thinking about it. But it feels a little less impossible when you think about trying As to collectivize exactly. it. Exactly. And um, so I, I think I, my mindset was always that kids were out of the question for me because I didn't want to do it alone. Yeah. Right. And, um, and so it wasn't, it wasn't even, cause I think sometimes I get real disheartened. Like I'm not going to bring another person into this fucked up world. Yeah. Like until I change something about this world, it's not going to happen. But the more I think about it, like I'm not alone. Yeah. And even, even us right now podcasting, like this is, this is us 
expanding our community. Yeah. You know? And, like, I've been saying this ever since I did this show by myself. Like, I would love to have... Um, like queer mamas of color on to that talk would be to talk about their experiences because like it just felt so possible to have babies leaving there. You yeah, know? yeah. I, and even me, like I had thought about like if, okay, if I if I want to have kids, I think I've been thinking about that like a lot more lately. Um, but I was just like, well, maybe maybe because my age, all kind of, all kind of shit is happening in my life too. But I was just like, well. <sighs> If I'm going to have a kid, I'm probably going to just adopt. Um, But then, after seeing Black Panther, (laughs) I am very committed to naming my child Okoye. And so, I'm like, well, maybe I just have to have a baby in in order to name my child Okoye. Wow. So. (laughs) This movie has literally changed your life. It changed my life. Seeing the little kids at the theater. And everything, I'm like, oh, I have to bring another child into oh the joy, God. the joy that is Wakanda. <laughs> and I, I bought the bucket, so I get unlimited popcorn refills. <laughs> so I'm just like, eight years from now, I can bring. <laughs> I can, wow, I can bring my child to see to shopping town in Syracuse with the Black Panther bucket to see whatever. You know, sequel is playing then. Wow, you've really thought this out. It'll be like Black Panther 4, Battle for Harlem. Or something. <laughs> really? <laughs> anyway. Or maybe it'll be uh, Black Panther 4 in Atlanta, and there'll be a debut <laughs> from the Atlanta Anti-Imperialist <laughs> Coalition. That guy that did that prison uh, work stoppage will make a cameo. <laughs> You know it's possible. I'm about to say. like most of it was filmed in Atlanta at studios. Oh, shit. <laughs> Hector, who we're very um, proud to announce. Uh, mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. he's an immigrant and he was detained um, four days before Christmas. Yeah. And um, so he's got three kids and they're, um, they're like, they're just amazing. And mm-hmm. you can tell that they're kids who are in um, organizing spaces because like they're always, um, like I said, we've got the ch- this child care collective. Uh, but one night, it was just, like, one person um, from the collective just hanging out with the kids. And, like, I overheard them. Mm-hmm. And they were having this debate amongst the three siblings. And they were, I just heard them chanting chants from the movement. Mm-hmm. And they were just chanting, Black Lives Matter. And they were, like, and so the little, like, their smallest uh, son was, like, how can we say Black Lives Matter but not Police Lives Matter? And, like, one of the oldest daughters was, like, she was like, everybody knows that police lives matter, right? She was like, that's why we don't need to say it. She was right. like, she was like, but she was like, I don't think that everybody agrees that Black Lives Matter. She was like, that's why I think people say that. Oh my right? god, little radical baby! Right, and so, but what I was saying about that, um, so the same thing we did that we had like a media there to cover like the phone banking or whatever, but they did. Um, so like the kids spoke. And they at the press conference, and they were like, you know, my dad needs to be home, mm-hmm. and like and he needs to be home because, like, you know, then she was like, it's not just about 
my dad, she said something to the effect of, like, it's important to keep families together. And she's 11 fucking years yeah, old. Yeah. And, like, and like I love these kids. Like, they're so funny. Like, and mm-hmm. I just, I mean, they're just, they're so sharp. And yeah. I just get along with them. Like, so well. And, like, when their dad was detained, like, their their whole demeanor yeah. was different. Yeah. Um, and, like, I just, like, I saw them today. And, like, you know, they were with their dad. And like like their their whole demeanor is just mm-hmm. so different. But mm-hmm. like I don't know if I could have imagined. I mean, I guess you know when the circumstances you know can like bring these things out of you. But I just don't know if I could have done a press conference at eleven years old saying yeah. my dad needs it's to be home. It's important to keep families together, right? Yeah. And so I mean, but when they were just like marching around the office, Black Lives Matter, <laughs> and they were just like they they were having this little like yeah yeah this little sibling debate. <laughs> And I was like, yeah, I was like, that's right. That's right. So I love it. Yeah. So yeah, just go ahead and hurry up and have them kids so that I can babysit and I can be auntie money. Mm. Or you have the kids and You're closer. And maybe Auntie uh Nick. What's what's the gender? Is there a gender neutral? Or auntle. That sounds I'm not a fan. I know, we need a better one. Yeah. It's yeah, I auntle or auntle. We're gonna have to. I'm gonna have to marinate on this. Hmm. I know, like the niece, nephew, the nibbling. That's cute. Nibbling is cute, but until Un- doesn't. <laughs> well, this is stumping me, and I hate it, it. Yeah, like usually I could just come up with something. Uh, yeah, like, same. Let's call it blah blah. But well, that's maybe that's what it is. The blah blah. <laughs> well, look, kids, it's the blah blah. <laughs> <laughs> but take your little ass to your blah blah. <laughs> I'm not your blood out. <laughs> Keep playing with me like I'm one of your little blood owls if you want to. <laughs> I miss blood out Nick. I think I think that's it. I, we've answered that. It's just blood out. Yeah. Black black. I love it. All right, so you know how we wrap it up then with the Curve Chronicles. Uh-huh. Do you have a Curve Chronicle, Nikita? I feel like I might have. No, I don't have, I haven't had any time to curve anything. <laughs> yeah. The only thing I've been curving is my fucking self, I tell you that. You've been curving your bed. Have you been sleeping? No. Self-care tip number one. Yeah. Sleep and water. I've been trying to do the water. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, I just been out here. That's the one that? <laughs> That's not a you can't just say that, drop that and not follow it up. Uh well I so in my celebration of um Wakanda and being Wakandan American, I um, <laughs> I May or may not have flooded the gram with, like, daddy photos. (laughs) So, I guess, like, I'm not surprised because, you know, a bitch is cute. Um, But I am surprised with, like, the reception that that has gotten. So... I, you know, I've gotten a few, a few messages. What, what kind of, what they talk about. But I have not replied because, oh, as thank. you all know. <laughs> Ooh, do, do not let money game. write messages unsupervised. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, no, they've been pretty tame. Just like, um, 
you know, like, oh, that picture was really good. Like, I couldn't stop looking at it, which is obviously flirtatious. And this person is very attractive also. But I just said, thanks. Didn't somebody recently <laughs> run up to you and then point to one of your, show you in person, one yes. of your photos yeah. on Instagram? And yeah. then talk about how fine you were to your face, showing your Instagram <laughs> to you? Yeah. That's so meta. <laughs> it was, because I was also fine that day. Yeah. And so... It was just like layers of me and my sexiness being celebrated. Yeah. I felt, I, you know, felt like a bad bitch. You, you truly are. <laughs> um, yes, I just feel like something has happened where I, and I don't know if it's, you know, my altar work is popping. Um, <laughs> Not the altar know, work. The, I've, I've visited the ancestral plane and the heart-shaped herb has blessed me. With these like super duper powers, but I really feel like my energy is changing around like how, my self love, and mm. I feel like everything that I give other people, I'm starting to give to myself, uh, thanks to my own therapy. <laughs> Shout out to my group therapy <laughs> and my individual therapy. Damn, bitch, you just got. <laughs> um, and. Uh, just like the people that I'm starting to surround myself with in mm. life, like everybody that wow. I, that is so close to me, I really look at y'all and I'm like, I can't believe I know these people. Mm. And so then there has to be some light in me that's like attractive, yeah, y'all. And so I just been, you know, f- like feeling myself, yeah, to say it plainly. Namaste, gay, the queer fire in me, <laughs> lighting the queer fire in you, <laughs> you know, and that too, because. I think the gaybies see me, and that 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 like makes me happy. Oh yeah, totally. Cause, cause you know, all, sort of like unprompted, they come up to me and say stuff, and I'm just like, I feel like you were like you have been and still continue to be very intentional about that. And I think people, especially the gaybies, really receive that, mm-hmm. um, and appreciate that a lot. I just you know I don't want nobody out here spinning in in obscurity yeah. when. You know, my my black gay ass is sitting here. So, yeah. So, you know, I've been, um, if you haven't <laughs> seen my Instagram <laughs> at Melanated Money, you know, I just, oh my God. <laughs> I just been cute and I've been getting my messages. You know, I've been getting my bread and roses. <laughs> okay. I, all right. <laughs> <laughs> but I haven't, I haven't responded. And so, if any of you are listening, okay, and are wondering why I have not responded, why has this turned into the quiet storm? <laughs> it's Curve Chronicles. <laughs> it's because I suck in the DM. They everyone like, heard that episode. I, they know. I am so bad. Yeah, and I knew if I the how I wanted to respond was I actually made that throw <laughs> the, the the um. Well, I made a lot of parts of my outfits that I wore, but the romper, the the kente <laughs> romper, I, I sewed it, and um, I don't know what you call it, but it's like a cardigan, like a mm. kente print cardigan. I also made that, and I sewed the top, the like lace little top under. And so I, that's what I, that was my yeah. impulse to reply, and I know that would have just dried the yeah. poop. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was looking at some imported threads, but then I realized actually the sewing needle they have is a little too big. And if you you have to make sure that you really get the thread properly through the eye. It wasn't that bad. It would have been. I was just gonna talk about like I just freehanded it because the pattern wasn't wasn't okay. working. Nope. And you nope, know Nope, nope, nope. Didn't fit fat nope, girl. Nope, it wasn't nope, fat girl nope, friendly, nope, so nope, nope. <sighs> 
Nobody wants to hear about the fucking fabrics, okay? <laughs> oh, I got the fabric from this. Okay, that's why I didn't respond. Yeah. Um. Other than that, I feel like I've had a, a curve, like, brewing in my head, but I haven't done it. Like, I haven't, because it's too late. It, the time has passed. Do you need to, like, retroactively curve someone? <laughs> yes. <laughs> a retroactive curve? I'm excited. <laughs> I, I got politely curved by a lot of aunties at the theater watching <laughs> wow. Black Panther. You mean Blood Owls. The Blood Owls, sorry. <laughs> I got curved by all the Blood Owls that popped out. <laughs> I can't imagine your young ass going up to these women. Am, am I still too young to pull an yes. auntie? Yeah. What? How old do you think you have to be to pull an auntie? I don't know. Like 34, 35? 35. But you are an auntie. They don't. Man, they you? don't play games. Like I'm not playing games. No, black women like that. They uh, you you got to come correct. You can't be just. I tweeted. I was in my killmonger voice. Like, hey, auntie. <laughs> but that's not a good pickup line. No. Nope. <laughs> hey, bad out. Hey, bad out. <laughs> that sounds gross. <laughs> and street harassing. <laughs> Street harassing. I don't think that works. Oh. I think that's a program. It's an episode. A program. So y'all don't forget that the next time y'all hear from us, we'll be South at by South by Southwest, Southwest in Austin, Texas. And if you can't make it to the live show at 9.30 a.m. on March, March 12th. 12th, make it out to the meet and greet. Um, just, you know, just meet up with us. Y'all know, um, y'all know, already know what we do over here. But if you don't know what Queen and Jay do, we just gonna be, you know, chatting and dismantling cishet capitalist patriarchy. That's it. Um, Wow, we need to put that on a card. Chatting and dismantling. (laughs) That's it. Um, yeah, so come, come through to meet and greet, which is free again. Um, just let y'all know, you know. Uh, yeah, all that. Information will be in the description. Yep. Make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram if you're if you're not like already, just to stay up to date. Cause we, it's probably gonna be the most active we've ever been. Cause this is like a we taking a trip together. A trip for yeah. the podcast. For the podcast. This is amazing. This is gonna be a great thing to have in the podcast. <laughs> hey. Bye, y'all. You not you trying to silence me. Let me say goodbye to them on my own terms. All right. Y'all be good. Peace. That was your goodbye? Yeah. Bye y'all. Wasn't, wasn't a really good goodbye. Are you done? Uh, I, I, are you done? Uh, push the fucking button. <laughs> Shout out to Umbaku. <laughs> what kind of see this video is it the Django jane yeah that's not the gay one though what's the gay one something if you probably click on that it'll probably come up the fuck janelle monet make me feel make me feel oh my god she between these legs look at these two lesbos oh (laughs) it's very princey very Hmm. when she fed her that popsicle she calls herself a sexual bender. Oh, this is so it's Prince. It's very Prince, right? Yeah. Ooh! <laughs> yes, booty! When she slapped that, oh that, my God. Ooh. 
She's so tiny. Like, short. Oh. Go back to Tessa Thompson. And now she's crawling through legs. legs. I tell you where she can crawl. <laughs> Did she just pinch her own ass? I think so. Well. I feel like she's going to get a lot of flack for this for some from some people. Why? Because she's wearing colors? <laughs> Damn, look at the look booty. Look at that fatty. <laughs> I, I, you know, I love when the, the little girls be having the booty. Because look how short she is. God damn, Tessa. Ooh. <gasps> she was caressing her breast. I think we... Okay. What? Look at the titty jiggle. <laughs> She's slapping their buttocks. She, she has her face. Forget forget slaps. Look what her face is. Look her booty. She had the cutest little butt. Look at the jiggle. Oh my, oh my god. god. She not wearing a bra? No, bitch. <laughs> ain't no bra. Bra what? For what? <laughs> oh my god. Wow. Um. Ay, ay, ay. Oh. <laughs> um. So. I don't even think it matters. <laughs> what, what matters at this point? I can't believe that. Did you see the titty jiggle? I did. Multiple times. <laughs> wow. Well, she said we shouldn't keep questioning what we already know. So there it is then. Is it? There's a part of me that's like, yeah, I told you, I'm, there's a part of me that's cynical. And I'm like, I'm wondering, is she like... Pl- Playing us, playing, playing on these uh, these ideas and suspicions, suspicions or rumors, mm. and that not that there's anything inherently wrong with that. Yeah, because I mean, she it's, it is Tessa in the video. Yeah, and there's been right. So I feel like she, mm. she knows, and it, Tessa, just, it builds yeah. up the allure, the mm-hmm. mystery. Because Tessa has also been one of those like, I mean, what what is sexuality? Yeah. What is yeah. I, I I don't I don't know if I could tell you what it is, but I could show you. <laughs> <laughs> Just jiggle the memories my way. Okay. 